Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Uh, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the 12-step programs that assists recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Today, my guests are members of Food Acts and Recovery Anonymous, and they'll be sharing their story of recovery from food addiction. Uh, I'd like to welcome Jane and Shay to the show today. Hi there. Hi there. Hello. Yeah. How are you? Good, thank you. So normally in the show, we talk about growing up and the things that influenced us in our life and why we took the path we took, really. So I'll start with you, Shay. So what was life like for you growing up and what was family and school and friends, what was that like? Oh, boy, I grew up with uh, seven children, two healthy adults, and one, my one brother had cerebral palsy. So that was kind of a, well, it took a lot of the attention also with all those children. And I was just seen and not heard. I was happy little Shay all the time, you know, and I didn't, just didn't know how to go if I had a problem, how to go to my parents or anything. There was just so much going on in that home with seven people. And so for me, I found myself just putting on, from an early age, developing a personality where people would like me because I felt so scared inside. I just felt I had to develop this personality. And so I was outside the home most of the time. I was always out playing or teenage years, hanging with friends. I always wanted to escape from that home somehow. I didn't want to be a part of that home. You know, I often try to think about how did that food play in as a, as a young child. And I couldn't remember much. And it's been many years later. And I had an early memory of being around five-ish and I'm 70 years old today, and I can still remember that particular food that I couldn't wait to go to these people's houses to get at five years old. So it's like I had no idea I was addicted to anything till well into my 30s. But when I look back now, I see, wow, I, I really escaped into all different forms. But food was one of my early, early forms that I took to escape. So what sort of food were you attracted to? Always sugar and flour. I was never attracted to green beans. <laughs> it got so at the end, that's all I was eating was sugar and flour products. So to me, it was like when they asked in, in program, they asked us to put down that flour and sugar. It's like, what am I going to eat? What am I going to eat? And everything I eat had sugar and flour in it. So did you find yourself eating secretly? Absolutely. With so many kids in the family, I just would sneak food bring it to my room, bring it out back, sneaking, sneaking, sneaking up in the middle of the night. And there were so many of us, you never really got caught because nobody would claim it. So what about friendships then? Did your eating affect your friendships? It did not. As a young kid, I, I was a tomboy, so I played outside a lot. 
got along well with all the neighborhood kids. We just played with the neighborhood kids at that point. And, and then as a teenager, I just really, as I said, I worked on that relationship with friends. And so friends were way more important to me than family. I, I didn't want to be a part of that family. I don't know what it was, too boring, too glum, not exciting enough. And my mom was an addict. She was a food addict. I didn't know it at the time. I just knew she was a whirling dervish. Uh, I remember her hiding food and always wanting to try to get to her stashes, you know, but hers were pretty coveted, so couldn't always get to them. But personality-wise, I just really worked on my personality, I think. And in that, I stuffed down any feelings, any fears, any anything that was really going on for me, and I would just present what I wanted to present to the world. Was that people-pleasing or trying not to displease people? Which one were you doing? Oh, I never, that's interesting. I wouldn't think, I would think of them as the same. I did both. <laughs> I was always trying to please people and I was a people pleaser. So, oh yeah, I didn't know what I liked or didn't like. I knew what my friends liked and didn't like because it was very important for me to, them to like me and please them and didn't know myself. So what about school? Were you good academically? Nope, very average, very average. I would say very athletic but very average in school. Wasn't really guided to go to college. I remember with my own children, I'd just say, when you go to college, I'd just pretend like when you go to college. But in at that year, I was born in 1950, um, there weren't a whole lot of kids going to college. And so that wasn't a goal for me. It was just like get through school. School was a social event for me and I'd just get through the classes. So what about leaving school? Um, that was interesting because I ended up going to a secretarial school and just got an associate's degree. And it was in those years where my addiction just kind of switched all over the place from, it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll in those nine, in the sixties when I grew up as a teenager. So we were partying a lot and very social, not so much in high school, but once I was in college, those two years were very much party years just party and escape and eat, you know, but I didn't gain a lot of weight till later. Okay, well, I'll swap over to you, Jane. So what was your family life like and growing up for you? Um, I grew up in a mother, father, my brother was five years older than me, just the one sibling, and um, I was adopted. So kind of right from the very beginning, I felt a little different and I really felt like I didn't fit in to the family I was with. I mean, my family was really good. We're kind of working class. My mother was a school teacher. My father was a bank manager. We were probably middle class, very religious, but I never felt right. Like I don't remember a lot about growing up, but what I remember was that feeling that I didn't fit in and I was always wanting to look for my real family, you know, and I, my, I had a best friend and I wanted to join her family, any family but my family. But the, the one thing that did give me comfort was the food. Right from a young age, I don't remember events, but what I remember were the, were the parties and the food that my mother cooked and um, going away on holiday and the places that we stayed at to, to go to the caps or restaurants or staying at my auntie's and, and knowing you know what, what kind of food they would give me so yeah I was a pretty good child I was a bit of a people pleaser I, I liked to be liked 
but I, I did struggle. I really struggled. And, and when I look back at photos, you know, there was a real sadness in my eyes. I just, just felt sad a lot of the time. Like there was something missing. Like, you know, they say they had a hole in my soul and that's kind of how I felt. Like I wasn't right. There was something majorly wrong with me. And when I was about seven, my um, mother took me in to see a psychiatrist because I was having learning disabilities and I was dyslexic and um, that was kind of another reason to, to add to my, I'm not kind of right. But the one thing that I, I really loved doing was cooking and, and making food from a very young age. My mother taught me how to cook. Mum had cancer and I didn't know for many years. So I guess my parents were trying to kind of prime me up to run a household and I, you know, I could cook a full on meal by the age of 12 and, and bake. I baked every weekend. You know, that was the one thing that I really enjoyed doing. It was something I was good at. Um, you know, I went to cooking classes and I excelled in those. And my parents had friends that would get me to go around and help them with catering for their dinner parties. And I helped out at the golf course catering over there. Anything to do with food, I just kind of gravitated towards. I, I just, you know, I was, I was very passionate about it, you know, about you know, getting the recipes and, and researching and, and making all this fancy food. It, it was something that, you know, I liked cooking it, I liked eating it. I just liked the whole the whole vibe of it because it made me feel it was my friend. And, and because I struggled so much at school, I would I would go home after school and, and, you know, I'd just have this great big afternoon tea. You know, that was such a comfort to me because I was struggling with my homework properly. And, you know, I would have the big dinner and, you know, if you ate all your dinner, you could have the sweet stuff afterwards and you got through that and then there was always supper. So, you know, life was, was pretty much, you know, about the food for me. It, it was really, um, I was quite um, athletic, so I wasn't particularly overweight, but I did kind of get towards college. I started to, to get a bit of a um, tummy. And I got very um, self-conscious about this. I kind of thought if I look good, the boys would get me. So I really started trying to restrict my eating. So about 14, when I, when I got to college, I found the solution and that was in bulimia. I became bulimic. And that was a bit of a like, oh, great, I can eat this food and not put on the weight. So that was my solution for that. And as I got through college, I got more and more miserable you know, I started experimenting with, with um, other addictions and, um, yeah, just my life became quite topsy-turvy by then. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a happy time at all. I kind of stopped the eating not to put on the weight and was using other, you know, bulimia or pills or other substances to um, try and not put on the weight. You know, it, it really started to um, mess with my mind even more and more. Um, inadequate. One thing I was going to ask you was about if you're with adults a bit and cooking it's sort of not a it's not a childish thing to do it must have separated you from other children having that sort of adult role did you find that? No in primary school I always had the one best friend so you know I, I didn't like big groups so it kind of really wasn't a problem and a lot of you know, my parents' friends had, had children that were in my class, so I was kind of associating with them anyway, and I, I'd go and have sleepovers and things like that. So um, I, I don't really think it affected my relationships because I, 
I didn't have like big groups of friends. You know, I, I wasn't really a naturally social person. My, my way of socializing was through the food and making it and being with other people or, you know, a friend would come over and, and we would bake. You know, that was my social kind of thing that I enjoyed doing. You mentioned other substances. So did you get, was it alcohol or drugs? Uh, yes, I started taking, more when I left school, I started taking diet pills, B-based, and started drinking and smoking. So it was kind of a whole snowball effect, really, to kind of suppress my wanting to eat all the time. It's a common thing to use those things to suppress eating. So how about you, Shay? You mentioned that during the 60s and 70s, there was this you know, culture of sex, drugs, rock and roll. So did you get into other substances as well? I did. Um, my other friends got much more into it. I was more into that. That was when my food addiction really took off is more in my teenage years. And I would just eat. And I can remember we'd go to crazy places, bar hopping all night. And I was more interested in, oh, we're going to go to breakfast at three in the morning. I can't wait. You know, I'd rather eat my drug than drink my drug. I liked the sweet drinks. I didn't like the taste of liquor usually. You know, the drugs, I can remember that my friends would get much more heavy duty into them. I was very afraid of them. I didn't like the feeling of being out of control. I liked how food would just brown me out nicely. And those guys would be like zonked. And I was usually like the designated driver and I could control it because I wasn't that into the I was around it and in it, but not intensely in it like they all were. So did that cause any friction with your social group, you not drinking and not participating? Not so much. I think, again, that personality and, you know, I just put on that personality and I'd, I'd please them all, you know. I'd, again, I'd be the designated driver. I'd help them out. I'd be the friend. While they had all the boyfriends, I'd be the great friend. And <laughs> I just, my whole young life was very confused, just trying to please everybody else and eat so that I could cope with that, that reality. Going to work, did things change, you know, when you left home and went went to work? Oh, my goodness. That's when I think I really took off because once I could get my license and went to work, it wasn't my very first job, but one of my first jobs was waitressing. So here I am with my own license, can go do whatever I want when I want to do it, waitressing. So I had access to my drug whenever I wanted it. And that's when the real volumes of food really started to take on. And that was when I started the diet pills also, you know, to try to control not getting too heavy. And I, I was able to control my weight so that I wasn't too, too heavy, but it was a real effort all the time because I really was starting to see the addiction part of it, although I didn't recognize it at all. Uh, well, listen, we might take a short break there. Oh, so- 
If you care for a friend or someone in your family with disability, a medical condition, or who is elderly, Carer Gateway can help you get free support. Carer Gateway has lots of services to help carers. There's counselling, financial and peer support, and online courses that you can do at your own pace. They also have respite services to help you look after the person you care for while you take a break. Call Carer Gateway on 1-800-422-737 or visit the website carergateway.gov.au. A 3CR supporter. Don't have a million dollars and still want to have a good education for your kid? Tune into the Dogs Program. We are the Defenders of Government Schools. 12pm on Saturdays here on 3CR. 855 and AM Dial podcast streaming live on 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. We defend government schools because they need it. Uh, This is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. 
If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then either head to your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our show's webpage, you'll also find details about the Living Free show and how to contact us. Today, I'm talking with Jane and Shay, and we're talking about recovery from food addiction with the help of Food Acts and Recovery Anonymous. So I'll start off with you, Jane. You grew up in a situation where you were actively involved in food and food preparation, and that was part of your life. So when you started work, did you go into that area or did you have another profession? Um, I did later on, but um, I left school at 17 and because I love children too, so I wanted to become like a Karatani nurse. So I did lots of nannying and I did lots of nurse aiding. But I also did like little part-time jobs and in restaurants, kitchen handing, just to earn a little bit of extra money. So, I mean, I was always doing kind of little bits of different jobs to kind of decide what I was doing. So it wasn't until later on that um, I decided to get my chefing qualification. So I did that. Yeah, but I, yeah, I, I changed jobs quite a lot, really, from one career to the other. I was a bit what you would call unsettled. <laughs> Uh, you know, kind of very impulsive, typical um, kind of addict, you know, kind of get fired up about one career and then, you know, do it for a couple of years and then try and do something else. But um, everything I did, even in netting, you know, I was always making food and, and when I worked in, in hospitals, you know, I'd end up being the cook in, on the weekends or something, you know, I was always gravitating towards that or, you know, um, sideline, I, I kind of, help cater making special sweet things for people and yeah did that eating start becoming a problem with your weight yes yes it did so with the weight like I said before I was taking diet pills and I was still my bulimia particularly kind of as I got on um, and eventually I had my children it was very hard to lose and I, I was trying to to not take the the drugs and the diet pills, and then, you know, my weight would spiral. I wouldn't call myself at that stage um, obese, but I was definitely, um, you know, up there overweight. It wasn't really until I had my children that just piled on the weight and, you know, I, I became the heaviest I ever was. So did it affect your relationships? Oh, definitely. You know, it affected my self-esteem, like I, I kind of said it, um, in the beginning, you know, it was really important that, you know, I was always told, Jane, you've got good manners, you're quite pretty, and I really played on that because I thought, oh, that's kind of, you know, people will like me if, if I'm attractive. And I associated being, you know, with my weight, you know, people won't like me. And um, it was very important that, you know, I had a string of boyfriends that guys would like me <laughs> because I was slim. <laughs> and, you know, as I kind of put the weight on, I, my self-esteem Got, got lower and lower I found it, it really did particularly like I say when I had my children um, it made me feel very uncomfortable very unattractive and I just would like to kind of hide out at home and in my PJs you know kind of watching TV sitting on the couch and eating um, I didn't feel very social at all I didn't really want to go out so uh, yeah it did I, I was never that good socially anyway but um, it, it definitely definitely um, had an impact on me. So did you choose isolation? Was that your preferred option? Yes, definitely. When I was going through my drinking bouts, um, that was one way I'd kind of get myself out to take the drugs or take the alcohol. 
that would kind of give me that little bit of pep to, to do that. But preferably was to isolate differently, stay home, watch TV and yeah, not be around other people differently. Back to you then, Shay. Being out in the world on your own, having a lot of freedom. So did your life change a lot socially and work-wise? How did that impact your eating? Well, I think what impacted me the most was that low self-esteem that Jane spoke about. And with that low self-esteem and wanting people to like me, I ended up getting pregnant very young. So at 19, I ended up getting married, had a child at 20, and that started the real ridiculous eating. Once I was home and isolating, I would isolate like crazy. I wouldn't even go out for weeks at a time. I had this baby that I had no idea what to do with, 20 years old, and I would just eat and bake and oh, self-destruct. And I didn't know what was wrong. What is wrong with me? But it, it was really that Oh, just not knowing how to live life, not knowing how to do it. Never mind as a teenager and all confused. Now, early 20s were just as hard as my teenage years because I was lost with no friends around now because they were living their lives. I'm home with a baby and a new husband who proved to be an alcoholic, but I had no idea at the time because we were all drinking and drugging at that time. So I found myself having to that start the self-help books and what's wrong with me and start the diet programs and maybe that'll help and just do, trying to do the best I can to get through life by myself, never mind raising a child at the same time. Relationships are, are always problematic, you know, when there's any form of addiction around. But, you know, if your husband was drinking, um, did you find that particularly isolating, having someone else with, a, with an addiction? Very much so. It was so confusing to me because I thought he was just very immature. I had no idea about alcoholism at that point. I had no idea about food addiction at that point. So I just thought he was just very immature and had to grow up. And so when I was first introduced to the, um, the literature, the big book of AA and all that, I, it was like, oh, that's him, that's him, that's him. But I just was confused uh, in my 20s, those first years. So being at home, being on your own, was there anybody you could reach out to, like family, or was there no support from the family? No, I was really lost at that point because I still didn't want much to do with my family or my parents. My friends are off doing their normal things that they're doing, uh, working or going to school or whatever they were doing. And I found that I couldn't relate much to the, I, I, and again, I think my low self-esteem really affected me because I didn't even want to go out and reach out. I just felt scared, afraid, didn't know how to do it and did not know how to reach out to anybody. So it's very isolating. So what happened? I muddled along, I think. I just muddled along. I can remember when I'd first get babysitters to come watch my son. And I'd say, you guys can do whatever you want because you know as much as I do about raising kids, you know. So I just muddled my way along. And I actually, my ex-husband was abusive. So I started this, the process of trying to separate from him. And that became difficult because I did try to go home. And that, was, that didn't work at home. So I came back. 
Then I started waitressing again to earn some money that maybe I need to save my money to get a place of my own. So I was really, I think muddle is the, the most appropriate word for those years in my life. I just muddled my way through. I didn't know how to live life. I really didn't. I was just eating to get through. So did you have any uh, other children? I did. I did end up having a daughter um, three years later. Uh, so at 23, I had my daughter, which was a conscious decision. I think it was one of those times in my marriage where we were going to try to make it work and everything, the honeymoon type phase. I don't know if um, you're too familiar with alcoholism, but the fact that it it'd be very apologetic and I won't do it again and everything will be wonderful. And I wanted to believe that, of course, you know, and I think it was one of those phases where I made a conscious effort that I'd like to have another child. And so I did, I had a boy and a girl. I feel very blessed today that there's another part of my life that came about. My daughter was just one when I tried to commit suicide. That's how muddled I was. That's how lost I was. I just didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to get the help. And so I just felt lost and didn't feel I could cope. Everybody, including my children, would be better off with me not here. So how did your family respond to that? I think they were very confused. Again, because I was happy Shay, you know. I just was happy all the time. So what on earth is wrong here? And little did anybody know that I had all those inner feelings going on. But that did start my recovery process. It really did. Well, I might swap back to you, Jane. You're in a situation where you have children, you have weight problems, you're trying to control things with diet pills and stuff. So did you get any support from your husband? Um, I wasn't married, but I was with, with my partner. Um, when my son was three, we separated and I had a daughter um, who was one. But kind of my ex-partner was a heavy drinker. I thought he was an alcoholic. I asked him to, to give up the booze or, or me and he chose the booze. <laughs> but my, my family, my parents didn't really know how, how bad things were for me. I, I had, you know, a bit like my eating, I, I was really good at pretending and putting on the right makeup and the right clothes and pretending everything was all right. So they really didn't, you know, they knew I was a bit unhappy and obviously they knew when, when my partner left, they knew about that, but um, they didn't really know about my addictions because I, I had it. Um, there were times that I, I couldn't go to family gatherings because I was kind of hungover, but, you know, I'd always make an excuse, but generally I, I, I behaved around them and, so they were they were very supportive when we separated. Um, we separated on on quite good terms, apart from from me trying to change them. <laughs> and when the children were young, we really mucked in. As dysfunctional as we were, we we were right there for our kids and tried to kind of make the most of a um, kind of a, a situation um, that we couldn't really live together. I mean, it it wasn't it wasn't that bad, but. I was struggling. I, I was getting, I was um, postnatal depression with both my kids. I was on antidepressants. I wasn't drinking. I was trying not to eat. And then I go back into my bulimia. I was kind of yo yoing all over the show. I was having a lot of counseling. By this stage, I was in an um, eating disorder clinic. So, um, you know, I was, I was trying to get help. I knew that I had a problem, but 
you know, I thought it was kind of quite common, really, because particularly um, when I was at school and, and kind of a lot of my friends were either bulimic or, or anorexic, you know, and it, it did really feel the era of, you know, drug sex and rock and roll and, and eating disorders. It, it was kind of like the norm. <laughs> I didn't think it was, you know, as you do, you don't think you're that bad. But, you know, I was kind of getting to that stage that, you know, and I too had a suicide attempt. I knew that um, there were times that I was getting so depressed that, you know, I didn't really kind of want to get out of bed, basically, um, that it was really starting to um, mess with my head, definitely. Back to you, Shay. You also mentioned suicide attempts. So what happened after that? That became my recovery journey because I ended up in a um, mental ward of a hospital where I was probably introduced for the first time to group therapy. And I was really amazed that there were like other like teachers or policemen or people of um, stature, you know, that had some credibility in the same groups, in the same situation. And I was like, wow, I'm not so alone. You know, I'm not so different. And from there, I ended up going to group therapy outpatient. And from there, got introduced actually to Al-Anon, which then led me to Overeaters Anonymous, which then led to Food Addicts in, in Recovery Anonymous. So they always talk about that darkness before the dawn. And I think that was that darkness before that recovery process started happening for me. Yeah, it's interesting how one fellowship can lead to another. And it's usually because people are in multiple fellowships that they can help you go from one to the other. So is that what you found? Yes. I think people are very open to in in 12-step programs and wanting to help. And so if they're seeing me very overweight, you know, and they they have found a solution, they're saying, hey, there's a solution here. So... I found that I was splitting myself between the Al-Anon and the Overeaters Anonymous. And I had years of the Al-Anon and I decided, well, the food's really a problem for me now more than anything. And so I started concentrating more on the food addiction or the compulsive overeating at that point, we called it. And so I broke away a bit from the Al-Anon. Well, so we might take another short break there. Down, I'm sure, but you doubt. We never make it. 
that was Put It On Hold by Mojo Juju, uh, courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. To enable change, we need to show broad community support. Show your support for walking and cycling in the city of Yarra by appearing as a champion on the Streets Alive website, representing your local street, neighbourhood or school. It's fast, free and simple. Learn more at streets-alive-yarra.org. A 3CR supporter. Come on, come in and hear the best live pop music from around town. It's your chance to tune in, so come on, come in. Live on Thursdays, 3pm, 3CR, 8.55am. Uh, this is a Living Free Show on 3CR Digital and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. I'm talking with Jane and Shay, and we're talking about recovery from their obsession with the help of food addicts in recovery anonymous. So back with you, Jane, um, you also talked about suicide attempts. So what was the outcome of that for you? It's usually a low point in your life. So I was already um, having counselling, and so my counsellor sent me to the um, head of the psychiatric unit here, the hospital, and I went to see her, and, and I told her my story. She said I had a bit of a lost soul. And um, from then on, I was able to do the... Um, the clinic, the eating disorder clinic. Yeah, I was pretty much um, after that, it kind of, you know, I was looking to be fixed, but it was, you know, I was just kind of going from one counsellor to, to one group. And then when that wasn't working, I, I tried spiritual groups and I started the process of, of really kind of digging deep, you know, wanting to be fixed, you know, give me that, that magic counsellor or that magic group or that magic guru, anyone. Um, to help me, you know, fix myself. I started really looking to, to be fixed, seeking their help. Did you understand what your problem was or just something? Well, obviously, because I was bulimic and, and, you know, I was pretty miserable, um, to say the very least. I, I knew, but I didn't really take it that seriously. You know, it, it was like, oh, well, um, I'll just keep on because I think, too, I was in denial a lot I was pretending you know obviously I'd reach these lows and then you know on on the kind of I put on this fake face that, that everything was all right particularly for my family I wanted them to to think I was okay and so I was leading a, pretty much a double life which is not uncommon because you know to, to eat secretly you've got to have a double life as well so it's sort of a sort of a continuation so did they buy the pretense yes they did because it wasn't until years afterwards um when when i told them i was in recovery and and that you know i'd, I'd be doing other 12-step programs and and that i was bulimic they were horrified they were like oh gosh you know so it was quite a shock to them so i, I did quite a good job of, of covering up um but you know that's what i was good at as a child you know i learned to cover up um, you know, I used to steal food all the time. So I learned from a very young age how to hide things and um, how to hide my um, eating disorder was, you know, something, you know, I, I thought I did quite well. 
So what was your experience when you first got into 12 step? What, what was it like to understand that there were other people who had that problem? It, it was a relief. I, I was probably in the darkest place of my life. I, I started off in a little group called Naranon, people with family members or friends that affected with drugs. And then I went on to Al-Anon. And it was just such a relief to, to find that there was a support network and it, you know I, I wasn't alone and other people felt what I felt yeah it was it was a real blessing totally so both those fellowships relate to others so when did you start focusing on you what was the trigger that got you to look at yourself well a couple of years down the track after um being on um, there and on Al-Anon, it was like a fog started lifting from my from my kind of mind and I started to look at myself and think oh goodness me um yeah I've got a few problems here <laughs> I've been busy concentrating on everybody else and blaming everybody else and I would say to my my sponsor at the time yeah do you think I've got a um, bit of a um you know eating thing here or she go oh, no 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 Nikki fine and you know but eventually um it got to the point that I knew I had enough clarity just to really start to look at myself and I, I really got the feeling that I needed to work on myself not so much other people so that's when I started to kind of dig deep and um, explore other other 12 fellowships and, and I knew you know I went to um, like Shay I went to um, OA so I guess that was the beginning of it. So what caused you to come into food addicts? So what happened in Overeaters Anonymous is that I, I put down the sugar, but I was still eating flour products. You know, I, I had a, a great big binge at the end there, and it, it, uh, I was really scared that I was going to go back into my bulimia. And I thought, gosh, I'm, you know, I'm in a 12-step program here. I've tried all the counsellors and I've tried everything. And I guess I was scared in a way, and it was uh, um, another fellow had, had, um, that I was in OA with had, had started going to FA, and, and she said, look, why don't you just go to a um, FA meeting and, and see if it's for you? So, so that was my, um, that was the beginning, definitely. So what was the difference did you find going to FA? The difference was that um, there was a definition that I was a food addict, and for me, because I was a drug addict, I really related to it. And I thought, right, that's the right diagnosis. And it just, it just fitted, you know. It, it just felt like one of those, when I went to my first meeting, it felt like one of those light bulb moments when, you know, I said food addict. It just, I just felt, right, I'm home, this is it. So what changes happened in your life as a result of coming into food addicts? I'll, I'll keep it brief, but no, look, the, the changes have been phenomenal. Um, just major personality change from, from going from a very insecure, I couldn't make a decision by myself. I, I literally couldn't think for myself. I couldn't commit to anything. You know, I can now, you know, what I say I do, um, I can commit to things. Um, I can think for myself. I was struggling financially too. I was very dependent on my family. Um, I'm financially secure today. I don't have major health problems like I had. Um, I'm off all my medication. You know, first time in my life, I'm, I'm completely, you know, abstinent and I'm clean. I, I mean, I don't even have caffeine, which for someone like me, you know, only way I can describe it is um, it's a miracle that um, I, for someone like me and all 
my addictions and how messed I was with the food um, can be free of that. But it, and, it, and it's the freedom in the head, you know, because it, I was in such a bad place with the obsession. You know, I just don't have that today. And I'm just a happier person. I feel, wake up in the mornings and, and I feel joyful. And I was never like that. I was Mrs. Glum. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to get out of bed, but, you know, I get up every morning at, at half past five and I'm happy about it. I mean, who would have thought? You know, and I'm not selfish. You know, I like to help other people if I can now, you know, and I like to pass on what, what I've been given because it's a gift and um, it's completely, you know, changed my life. So what about relationships with family and children? With, with my children, um, I've managed to support my daughter through um, university, and that's that's a miracle. I've been able to be there with her and with my son. We, we've had a bit of a rocky road, but we've come out the other end. Well, I love him dearly, and with my parents, you know, it has been a, a very rocky road, but, you know, we're, we're all coming out the other end, and the relationships are real now, whereas, you know, it was all fake and pretending. But, you know, really starting to get on an honest level and, you know, they're starting to accept me and, and I'm starting to accept them. So definitely my relations, you know, got a wee way to go. There's <laughs> always work. But, um, you know, we're definitely getting there, definitely. I'll go back to you, Jay. So you said you'd coming through Al-Anon and went to OA. So what was the trigger that got you into food addicts? I think I was still struggling. I really needed more structure. I needed more direction. Um, I can remember going to Weight Watchers and it was like once a week and you'd hear a lecture and you'd get all excited for it, but it wouldn't last. It would only last a couple of days, you know, and then for me, we kind of transitioned. I actually went into Overeaters Anonymous in the Boston area, where they really worked a Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous program. I fought it and I didn't want to do it as strictly as, as they did it. And so I was hoping and praying that I could do it not so rigid, not so strict, not so disciplined. And I found it just didn't work for me. And so I started finally looking for the people that were really recovering, really finding the peace, really learning how to live their lives. And I sought one of their sponsors who had been around a long, long time, one of the sponsors that had been in the longest actually. And I asked her if she would sponsor me. And I, and I remember just being defeated. I was just at uncle, I give, I, I don't wanna do it my way anymore. I don't wanna be in control of my food at all. I need somebody to help me, to guide me how to eat and how to live my life. And I was afraid that they would control my life. She would control my life and there would be things that she'd ask of me that I couldn't do or wouldn't be able to do. And that's never happened in all these years. I've always just welcomed a healthy person on the other end of the line that could really just guide me in my, you know, getting the food in order and then learning how to live life and speak up for myself and not be that people that really affected so much of my life and the inability to communicate honestly with people. So how did your life change once you identified a program that helped you address your problems? So how did your life start changing? It was amazing to me how it started changing because I was able to, I, I finally was able to be brutally honest 
I was so afraid to be honest that people wouldn't like me. They wouldn't like what I was saying. They'd be, I'd, they'd reject me. And when I really decided that if I'm going to really give this a go, here are people who are doing what I, I love that they talk deep. I love that they've all had problems with food themselves, you know, and I had to start becoming a part of that. All of me become a part of that, not just show them what I wanted to show them, but be able to really show them who Shay was. By getting free of your food obsessions, did that help you with your other relationships? Absolutely. I happened to be divorced and going through a divorce with my first husband. And he was just a manipulator and could talk circles around me. And I had the guidance and the fellowship, a guidance, as I said, of a healthy person and a fellowship of people who could support me in whatever I was going through in my life. And that was the most difficult time of my life. And they were able to be there for me because I utilized the whole program. I utilized the program, whereas before I just kind of like use it as a diet. So that honesty is really an important factor. Honesty with people in fellowship is, I think, probably a little bit easier than honesty in real life. So did you take that into the rest of your life? Yes, very, very useful. Um, I agree with that. You know, once you're in a community where everybody's, you know, revealing their true selves, it, you get comfortable. But then to go out into, into the world and really present the honest person that I was becoming, uh, one particular situation, I had had one of, uh, I had gone back to work full time and one of the vice presidents of the company was yelling at me about something that wasn't even my situation. And I remember telling my sponsor about it and she said, well, you just go in and you just tell that vice president that you don't deserve to be spoken to like that. And at that point it was like, no way, no way could I speak up to a vice president? No way. Uh -uh, can't do it. Can't do it. But I did utilize her courage and I utilized the program and it was just something you have to understand that was very opposite of the way I lived my life. You know, I just couldn't speak up. I couldn't say how I felt. I couldn't be honest, very fearful to do that. And so I just kept asking God for a lot of help. And I prayed all the way into work that morning and I went in and I did what my sponsor had suggested and I scurried away, you know, <laughs> I said, I don't deserve to be spoken to like that. And I ran away to my desk. I just like, okay, I did it. I did it. I did it. I did it. You know, and a few minutes later, he came up to me and he said, you know, Shay, you're right. I apologize. You don't deserve to be spoken to like that. And I was like, wow, this works. This works, you know, and that began my ability to be able to say what I mean and mean what I say. It was just so hard prior to that. So did this help with your relationship with your kids? So much so. I can remember a time uh, when I really started taking the recovery process seriously um, in Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous. My children were nine and um, 12. My son was old enough to be stay there with them. But again, I was going through that divorce. And so I'd leave them to go to a meeting or to get the recovery. And I'd often feel guilty about it. And later on, in my, uh, when my daughter was in high school, we were on a ski trip and we were all sitting around a lodge. And she said, you know, the best thing that ever happened to me was my mother going to these meetings. 
And I was like, wow, I had no idea because it was so hard to raise them and be gone. You know, I was gone all day work and then gone at night. It was so rewarding to hear, you know, and, and I know I wouldn't be the mother I am today if I hadn't walked into those doors. So part of fellowship in recovery is helping other people. So is, is that part of your life? It is so much a part of my life. Yes, I love sponsoring today. I love sitting next to a newcomer, you know, who's I can so relate to their fear and they're scared and they're, oh, what's this going to be like? And I love just watching them eyes open up like mine did and grasp the, the recovery process and change and the weight comes off. That's what's wonderful about our program. You really see it. You see the weight come off and you see them in nice clothes and putting on makeup and really budding. And it's just so wonderful to see people's lives change like that. So I love just passing it on, helping another sick and suffering food addict. How long have you been in fellowship now? Oh, I've been in a long time. At the very beginning, I can remember thinking I was just so cool that I'll just come in and get the diet and get out of here, you know. And I came in in 1980, and I struggled for those 12 years. Those were the years raising the children, going through the divorce, and I would get abstinent for a little while and then be eating for a while. And it wasn't until 92 that I finally surrendered, but... Um, I'm very grateful for the time that I have today. And I feel like those 12 years of struggle within the program were the best education I could have had because I learned all the wrong ways. Don't do this and don't do that. And you can try that, but it didn't work for me. You know, I was always trying to get away with something. And it wasn't until I surrendered to the whole process, the whole gift that I really got to feel that peace and serenity that the promises talk about. The other one is, you know, people often fear going back into a fellowship meeting if they've had a break. So what was that like for you, knowing that you're broken and going back? How did that work for you? That is difficult because there's an expression, having a head full of program and a belly full of food. It was so hard. And I can remember sitting in meetings sometimes just crying because I couldn't get it. And I think, how are those people staying absent for a whole year, you know, and I'd I'd rationalize and I'd justify and I'd say, well, what's the big deal about back-to-back abstinence, you know? And the big deal is the peace, the serenity, the being able to stay in the same size clothes year after year after year, you know, it's just so wonderful. Is there anything you'd like to say to people who, like yourself, you know, before you came into Food Addicts? I, I think I just want to say how grateful I am for the program of Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous because it does really address the addiction, you know? I was hoping that I just had a little eating problem, just liked food a little too much, you know? But I was 210 pounds the last time I weighed myself. So I just welcome people to come and try it. It's just a a wonderful way to live. It's brought me such peace and such joy, like you say, with raising my children, with being able to communicate with people, with interrelations. It's helped me in every way of my life. And I remember it being very scary at the beginning, like what, what is this program going to ask of me? And, and it's given me so much more, you know, and that's why I, I love doing the service and giving back because it, I see hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people living wonderful lives and being free from that addiction. That's just a curse. If 
anybody's out there who'd like to find out more about Food Acts and Recovery Anonymous, uh, you can phone them in Australia on 1800 717 446 or go online at foodaddicts.org. That's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Jane and Shay for sharing their Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you both. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. And wonderful. There's going to be a special broadcast next week for Disability Day, but the Living Free Show will return in a fortnight. So I hope you'll be able to join us again while we'll be talking with Jay, who's a member of Gamblers Anonymous. Uh, thanks for listening. Stay safe. Stay tuned for more Radical Radio on 3CR Community Radio. And to take us out, we've got Lady Lash singing uh, The Thieving Heart, again, courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project.